Welcome to the Green Ops Podcast, where we give you tips and tricks each week to become harder to kill. My <laughs> name is Luke, your host and also an instructor with Green Ops, joined today by Chris. What's going on, guys? Also, we have a special guest, Gabby Franco. Hello, hello. And today we're going to be talking to Gabby just about her story and how she came into this two-way world. But first, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors. Our first sponsor is F3 Tactical. F3 Tactical is a tactical gear and apparel shop that caters to public safety professionals, military, security, and responsible armed citizens. And it's quite possibly the best tactical gear shop in the country and possibly the world. If you need any gear, check them out at f3tactical.com or stop by their brick and mortar store in Chantilly. And when you get there, make sure you tell them the guys from Green Ops sent you. Sons of Liberty Gunworks produces hard-use blasters built by Patriots for Patriots. Sons of Liberty Gunworks specializes in customs N4 and Mark 10 rifles. Uh, we at Green Ops use uh, Sons of Liberty Gun, Gunworks rifles, and thank you should too. Uh, if you're in the market for a new rifle, check them out at Sons of Liberty Gunworks. By the way, I do have, I we, well, you have one too, but I have a Sons of Liberty 14 and a half, and I absolutely love that thing. So I've got the 13.7. And it's phenomenal. I have I don't even know how many rounds I've shot through it. I've never cleaned it. And if on the bolt they have the Sons of Liberty flag, uh-huh. and it's covered up with <laughs> oh, it's just like carbon. Oh man! And there's people that are like, man, you should take better care of it. It's like maybe not. <laughs> you know, it works. It still runs. Yeah, nonstop. <laughs> so Gabby, welcome to the program. I'm excited to be here, guys. Yeah, thanks Thank for coming you. on. So, um, I guess I don't even know what questions to start with. So. <laughs> Let's just start, like, introduce yourself yeah. and you in the firearms world, and then maybe we'll backtrack from there. Right. So I've been shooting for about 29 years. Uh, so I started as a, an Olympic shooting when my dad went to the gun range, and he was doing back in Venezuela when guns were allowed, citizens were ab- allowed to even apply for a concealed and carry license. So he went to the range to um, apl- do his course and all that stuff, and he learned that they had a junior shooting team. Okay. So he was like, hmm, I have three girls at home. So <laughs> he put the three of us, my two sisters and I, into shooting. The funny thing is that my older sister was the one who was allowed to shoot per se, at the range consistently. My younger sister and I, my dad kept us pretty much doing drive firing. <laughs> is that, why Why was she the one that was shooting more so than you? Well, my dad, I think is he thought that he, she was older. He so thought she, that. He just thought she was more responsible he, and could handle the. Well, more, more, I don't necessarily mean competent. the war, more necessarily word that responsible or more competent. I guess he saw us like the little girls. I was 11, my, my, my younger sister was 10. And he probably didn't think that we were, you know. How old was your uh, older sister? She was 14. 13? 14. 14, which it's, it's actually 15. 15, so there you yeah. go. That's probably. Right. I mean, if we hang around any longer, she's going to be 16. <laughs> 17. We just kept aging her. You know, at this point, I just literally forgot my age. So <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. At a certain point, I think we all did. We just forget our age. So, so you were, you said. 11? When I started, yeah. Okay, and you were doing a lot of dry fire. So, yeah, we were doing a lot of dry fire, and, and that's one of the things people ask me, Gabby, so how do you fell in love with shooting or the guns? I still don't remember. I just think it was probably the fact of when I'm going to go and shoot. You know what I mean? It's like right. that. Just just take me, and I want to just go to the range and stuff. So I think it was more that part of wanting to do it. And also, I was fascinated with this sport, which air pistol particularly okay um the target didn't move i didn't move 
It was very easy. So it's it like bullseye. Me. Yeah, bullseye, bullseye mm -hmm. air pistol. So the target, for those of you who don't know, probably you don't know, it's 10 meters. Okay. We shoot offhand and uh, we shoot like sideways, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it seemed like very easy. How difficult could it be to, to put a pellet in that bullseye, which the diameter is one centimeter? Okay, okay. so it's a pretty small target. Very small target. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, you try, and if you're lucky, I mean, with little girl, I could barely hit it, and then you try it again, and you try it again. So it was more like something that seems so easy. Certainly, it's not that easy. Sure. And you really have to work hard to get it. And I think it was more that that I fell in love with. You know what I mean? Like, he's just trying and So it's like that little target that we're shooting at today, 25 yards. <laughs> <laughs> it looks easy. Hey, shh, shh, shh. We don't, we don't, we don't <laughs> miss. We don't miss. It looked easy, right? Oh yeah, let's put it back there. That's that, that little piece of steel. Oh my god, I was eating our lunch. Pretty <laughs> yeah. much. So, so I was out there for a private lesson. I don't know, probably three or four weeks ago now, and I we were probably 35, 40 yards away, and so we go for the big steel with pistols, and then I go for the next smallest one, and then I go to the next smallest one, and I've hit the the second from the smallest and it's got that little bitty steel and I'm at 35, 40 yards. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And boom, I hit it one time. First shot hit it. And the guy was like, dude, that's awesome. Do it again. I was like, nope. I got it. I got another story for you, which is super awesome. So, um, and it, I know we're getting a little derailed here, but, um, Gabby and I started, we shot the uh, plate rack for, to warm up instead of shooting at paper. Mm hmm. Uh, we went up to maybe 10 to 12 yards, some, somewhere in between there. Right. And uh, and just concentrating on just Technique. a single, hey, just acquiring the, the, the dot and, and getting super fast. So, I, but I put a, I pulled a Josh today. You know how Josh <laughs> sometimes had these mistakes that he makes, but. Yeah, and it, it works makes, out. And it worked out. Yeah. Bro, a .86 from the holster at 12 yards, maybe 10 to 12 yards. At this six plate, and Gabby was like, "What? What did you do?" I was like, um, "I prepped the trigger a little too hard." There's a lot of prep going on there in that trigger. Chris was like, "I was surprised too." So, so let's go back. So, yeah. we're, we're we're no longer shooting today. We're shooting when you were 11. So, um, you got into. I forget what you call it, but it's like bullseye shooting. Well, air, Olympic shooting, okay. air pistol, and I also did uh, sport pistol. Sport pistol, twenty-two caliber, okay. and uh, we shoot at twenty-five meters. Uh, and the competition is two parts of the competition. One part is precision shooting, just a regular precision target, and the other part of the competition, half of the other the competition, is a black target. It's a big, imagine a big black target, right? Circle, you know, with circles. So what it, this target is, it opens and closes. It, it stays open for seven seconds and closes for three. So you are with a, your handgun, one-handed, in a 45-degree position. And once the target opens up, you, op you have three seconds, well, less, to raise your hand and boom, fire. And one shot. You do one shot five times until you complete 30 rounds. So uh, the trainings, my, my trainings on Olympic shooting where I used to train, oh, my God, from Tuesday through Sunday for four hours a day, mm -hmm. if not more, not including probably dry firing and all that stuff afterwards. But, like, that dry, uh, rapid fire 
portion of the 22 calorie was so fascinating to the point where I could tell the hundreds of a second where I make the shot. So my coach had a timer who would say, okay, tell me the time to make the shot. And I would be like, okay, well, I, I made it at 2.89, 2.90. It was such distinctive for me to know the difference between 2.88 to 2.92. Wow. And, and it was so important because as the targets start closing, even if you break the shot and the, tar- and, and the bullet breaks a line on the target, it's a zero. It won't count. So uh, one of the trainings that we did, I'll never forget, I mean, I was so mechanical that he would get me a, like a laser pointer, right? And with my eyes closed, I have to raise my hand. And, air, and when I stop, right, and let's say I'm aiming at the target, um, I'm sorry, at the wall or a white paper that he would have, right? And as soon as I raise my hand and where I stopped, he will mark with a mark, the white paper. And I should be within a range with my eyes closed. It was so mechanical that I had to be so precise. And it was, you know, just the practice, you know, what we call the muscle memory, but most, so most is just the practice of doing things. Mechanics, you know, the way you, you know, your, your body eventually transform into what you're molding it to, right? Even if it's uh, dry fire, the biomechanics in a, and then, thank you. And then, <laughs> um, and, and it's probably, and I, I told her today on that 0.86 shot, I'm like, the biomechanics were there. The mechanics were there. I just prepped the trigger a little too fast, too hard. But, but had I not had the biomechanics to, to, to get on But target, everything else was spot on. Everything else was that, super spot that's on. That's it. And that's how you can get very efficient. You know, and that's and how that's, you that's were getting right. so that's efficient. Exact, yeah, exactly. You because know? you had everything but the shot. Right. You know, and you could you could get the gun up on paper or whatever the target right. was without even looking, without even having the visual cue. And it's fascinating, you know, you think now that I'm shooting something completely different, tactical shooting or USPSA shooting, but it comes down to exactly the same thing. You know, that biomechanics, the practice, the having the ability that the repetition creates this uh, connections, neural pathways that makes you repeat the same exercise over and over and over again. And so Olympic shooting has definitely been my an amazing foundation mm-hmm. for, especially pistol shooting. Well, that's what I obviously did. But even for rifle, and you have seen me shooting rifle, it's just the, 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 the way you press the trigger, those, those precision shootings. Attention that, to details. Yes, attention yeah. to details that Olympic shooting gives you is mind-blowing because, you know, in, in, in air pistol, I shot in a competition 40 pellets, but it was 40 pellets in an hour. I mean, think sure. about it, an hour, right? right? But it was all me, center myself. There was nothing else in the world that mattered but my gun, the target, and my head, which often or not became my worst enemy well it's funny we just did uh the podcast that aired last week was all about mental game and i i'm assuming you know especially you're shooting 40 rounds in an hour yes i mean you have a lot of time to (laughs) consider what you've done or not done in order to get in or out of your own head so that's that's a very much a mental game versus a physical shooting game you know oh it is it is and i had the pleasure 
to work during that time. My coaches, they, they were, you know, trained coaches and had very psychological training, but I also worked with sports psychologists. Okay. So that helped me not only understand much because we think about oh, how the mind works and all that stuff, but to truly understand. So to give you an example, one of the exercises or trainings that I remember doing with uh, the doctor was he will put us laying down on the floor, right? And he will describe, I want to say story, but, you know, he will describe something. And we have to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say he could say, okay, now imagine that you're running. Okay, and you're being chased or something. So basically what he was saying or he was doing is trying us to imagine that but create a, a, a physiological reaction to our imagination. And he, um, another teammate would have their hands on our, you know, checking our heart rate, making sure that our heart rate was increasing. So that tells you, whoever's listening, whatever you think about before, during the match, guess what? That is influencing your physiological you know sure right physiological response and then after after he's describing all this then he would say okay now you have one minute lower your heart rate or a minute and a half lower your heart rate and so from that point we had to uh, use techniques that he taught us uh, uh, breathing techniques um, psychological techniques so uh, you know like thinking okay I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm relaxed. You know, kind of going back to reality oh, instead of leaving, staying in, into that reaction of, oh no, I was running, somebody was chasing me. It's like, come back to reality, you're fine, nothing's harming you, you are in a controlled environment to control your mind, control your body, and lower your heart rate. So uh, Olympic shooting in general gave me a lot more than just shooting. Right. And I'm so blessed and so thankful for everybody who you know, uh, we're part of that, of, of that, you know, learning experience for me that has been just wonderful. Sure. That's, that's crazy. So when were you, you were working with like a sports psychologist when you were shooting for the Olympic team? Is that correct? Or prior to that? Oh, no. Uh, well, when I was part of the national team in Venezuela, Venezuelan's national team. Okay. So, um, so we jumped from like, being 11, yeah. <laughs> learning air pistol, all the way to like sports psychologist. Yeah. So when did you get into the national team? When did you get on the like yeah, national was, level shooting? Right. I was 15. Back so then. you were still a kid. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So I was training uh, very hard to my standards, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe it was hard. I just enjoyed it. Sure. Per se, you know, at that time you have no other responsibilities right. than just... Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> Go to the range and have fun, right? Right. And so I was just having a great time, but um, I was going religiously to, you know, school, train, back home, repeat. That was my life for 10 years, my my childhood per se. Okay. So by good choice. Stability. Good stability there because, right. you know, everything's predictable. Right, by choice. But um, then... Uh, one of the national match, I think I won silver or bronze medal. In that national competition, um, they were trying to pick uh, members for the national team to go to this competition in Peru. Okay. I was new. I was very young. And even though I won a medal, some people in the uh, federation were a little bit hesitant. I'm not going to say they didn't want to take me, but they were like, 
would she be okay? You know, yeah, she's, still she's too a, young she's to still compete young. at this level. Um, but they, you know, support with my parents and support with my the, the association in my city, my state. They said, no, she'll be fine, whatever. And I, like a few months later, I turned 16 and we went to uh, Peru. Mm-hmm. That was my first international match. I was 16, 19. I'm not going to tell you which year. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. I almost did. You almost you, did. You'll probably figure it out already my age. But um, I went to Peru and I got my a silver medal. Okay. And that was my first international competition. That's awesome. And Where see, in Peru? Arequipa. Oh, Arequipa. Mm-hmm. They, oh, my God. Down, beautiful, they- beautiful town. I love it. Food delicious. And that was my first international competition. And since then, I definitely, (laughs) they kept me in the national team. And I went to Ecuador. I mean, from there, I went to Argentina. And I kept traveling since I was 16 years old since then. So how long did you compete on the national level? From 19. From from. Well, don't from the age sixteen, from the age sixteen until yeah. Okay, Uh, six years until I came to the United States. Okay, so you came to the United States at twenty-two. Yes. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so what? Okay, so during that six years, you're competing. Yes. You're um. So, what made you decide you're going to come to the U.S.? So, oh my God, there were so many things going on back then. Um, my ex-husband, who was my boyfriend back then, he wanted me to come to the United States. But I had so much going on for me in Venezuela. I was part of the national team. I love to travel over the world. I was having such a great time. And then simultaneously, we had a new government. Um, it was socialist government, Hugo Chavez. And at first, you know, he was like, oh, this is not a big deal. You know, we're just going to change. We're fighting for people and we're going to do this for the people, whatever. But um, as time went on, um, they he started putting restrictions on firearms. But the way they did it was uh, creating a chokehold on gun shops and gun ranges. Okay, so especially gun shops. So now they put a, a restriction on importation. Okay. And uh, the, the importation, not only firearms, but also ammunition. Then they concentrated all that to the government. They created this organization, you know, like this, um, how do you say, like an entity, mm-hmm. gover- government entity, that was going to handle all that stuff. So obviously the, what they did, the government killed the business. Sure. Right? And um, made, made it a more, bureau- more bureaucracy mm-hmm. now. And it was more difficult for people to apply because it's not like here you go to your gun shop, you can they can help you, you apply, blah, blah, blah. So imagine if you or no us here, but let's say somebody who lives in Texas, right? If the government take that power and says, Oh no, now you have to go to DC. Right. Right? Not everybody has the means to travel to DC to get a concealed carry. So so imagine that back in Venezuela. Um, obviously, uh, even though I was shooting pellets in 22, we were affected too, big time. And I felt it. I was, you know, practicing for the Olympic Games for Sydney 2000. And my coach was like, okay, you know, like two, three, ten pellets at a time. Uh, and we were like, you know, we're here to train for the Olympics. Sure. We need a little bit more than that. And I have to say, we still had support. But for the most part, it was somewhat difficult and we had to fight a lot to get it okay Okay. 
So um, that created that thing in my in my mind that the the, the sport the shooting it was kind of my world, right. and then turns out that the government couldn't take it away. Right, just like that. Just like that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what? Let's say then I went to the Olympic Games and all that stuff. Um, comes to 2002, and I even won three gold medals in Brazil. That was my last international competition, the South American Games. And I realized that even though I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004, I was like, let's say I win a medal. Let's say. That would be the best case scenario. I win a medal. And I go back to Venezuela. What am I going to do with that medal? Right. What is that medal going to give me? Okay, I'm a, I, here's a medal, but in reality... I don't eat with it. You have to give it to Hugo. I, yeah, well, I'll probably have to sell it. You right. know, so, and, and not only that, I, I uh, there was a good friend of mine who, I was a good friend of mine, a, a guy who uh, we met in different international competitions, in the games, you know, mm-hmm. South American games. So people from different sports, we meet together and all that stuff. So he was a boxer. He was 35 when I met him, or 34, I think. And uh, after Sydney, the boxing dropped the age. Okay, so if I have the ages mixed up, you know, don't, I just don't remember exactly. Sure. But the ages were dropped. And so it meant that he was not going to be able to be at the, at the following Olympics. Okay. He was not going to make it. And time passed. I didn't know any of it until one day I saw him at the villa in Venezuela where most athletes lived, many athletes lived and stuff. And he was a security guard. Wow. So <laughs> he was Olympian. Uh-huh. To an, uh, to a just a security guard. A security guard, the, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, and he was like super nice, hey, whatever. I'm like, dude, what are you doing as a security guard? Like, and so explain that to me. And in my head was like, you should be the coach or the train. I mean, assistant at least of these coaches and stuff. But the thing is that Venezuela is different than the United States mm-hmm. in that sense. So he was just a security guard. So I thought. Wow, I, I have given so much to this sport. Not only because I have given to it, it has been also my pride and, and I loved it, right? But I have given so much of my life, my even just dedicated to this. And if something happens, what is after that? Right. So that's why it came to me about that medal. What comes after that? You know what I mean? And so um, that was uh, the main motivation to come and move to the United States. And... I was in a book fair in Miami okay. and I love books and long story short, I turn around and I see this girl. Well, she went with me to the Olympic Games. Okay. She was a tennis player. And this, she, I mean, book fair in Miami, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people go there. Sure. <laughs> and, and what are the chances, right? Right. And we started talking. She gave me the, the, the name of her lawyer. And I applied for an, what's called an extraordinary ability visa. Okay. And it's, it's an O one visa. And um, they got approved and in a year I have my green card. So okay. I took my chances because even the lawyer said, Gabby, you know, there are no guarantees. Sure. But I left everything behind. Everybody was just, wow, you're crazy. <laughs> so, but that's funny. So a lot of people in this world, the shooting community... We're all 2A, 
people and there's a lot of people that would say they would do a lot to make sure that they still have the the ability to have firearms or whatever it may be you left your home in order to make sure you still had the ability to shoot pistols basically uh, right because right. they were they were threatening to take that away from you and you knew that's what you had put so much time and effort into i would so, say i would say it was even beyond that because it was not only the farms little by little you realize that that was just the bottom of it they were right. taking everything sure you know what i mean like you know the government became so blatantly how you say like they didn't care anymore because nobody could stand stand up nobody could do anything so you know i i saw my future as a as a young person in my early 20s like i was like there's nothing here and right. and the problem is that you know you would say oh uh, i should have stayed and fought and all this stuff people weren't like in a trance right you know, like they all well know, but this guy is going to bring a socialism that nobody who you talk around, they thought that this going to be, he was the Messiah. And uh, friends who, who are Cuban there in Venezuela, they, they also influenced me a lot because I, they, they were at the range often. And they talked how Hugo Chavez talked just like Fidel Castro. Mm -hmm. How these ideas, he would say, oh no, wait. There's going to be a time where you guys won't have food. Venezuelans would say, like, this guy's nuts. Right. What are you talking about? Venezuela, we're the largest, and we have the largest oil, oil. reserve oil in reserve. the world. Yep. That will never happen very to us. Very rich. Venezuela used to be a very, very rich Right. Country. So, you know, there was a difference because, you know, it's almost like you're walking with these zombies around. Right. <laughs> and no matter what you do, they're still kind of zone out. And you're like, dude, if, if I don't get out of here, they're going to drown me too with them. And and that was a very hard decision. I mean, to say the least. I was young. I didn't have anybody in the United States. But um, I, I saw the opportunity and, and I took it. So you came to the, the U.S. Where did you settle first? Miami. You, okay, so you settled down in Miami. Yes. All right. So, and did you instantly pick back up into shooting when you got here to the States? Or was it like... Hey, you kind of gave it up for a little bit, just try to get your feet wet in America and then picked it back up after a year, two years, three years, something like that. Right. So remember when I when I came here, I didn't have any kind of um, even though I applied for a visa, mm -hmm. you know, you're still kind of in a holding status. Okay. I had no means to buy a firearm or, or anything like that. Not only that, but what we do, you know, service guns and all that were pretty much strange things to me. Mm -hmm. I was still the Olympic shooter. I was air pistol, 22. All I knew was air pistol, 22. Even though I knew uh, uh, in, in Venezuela, we call it kind of police competitions. Okay. Something like that. Tiro policial. That's what we say in, in, in Spanish. Tiro policial. So it'll be a police style of shooting. Kind of, kind of like that, you know. Um, so I, I was not much into it. But then I, I got a job in a gun shop. Okay. So I worked for a gun shop for six years. Mm -hmm. And so obviously after that, a year later, I got my green card and I was able to buy my first firearms. I got my first, er, I got a... Uh, a Walter, right? 
No, I do not. Like that plug. Um, yeah, what was your first gun when you came to the U.S.? The, the first firearm that I bought, and you know, that was the firearm that they recommended to me, was the uh, Smith and Wesson MMP. MMP. Okay. I, I, hey, that's I, that, say, I, I, I think that's great. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why. And I had a, and I bought a, a, sta- a stock arms. AR stuck arms. Start, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I still have it. That was my first AR stuck wow. arms. Do you still have the MMP? Oh, uh, yeah, I still do. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I mean, believe it or not, my husband always says, you know, I don't sell guns. <laughs> yeah. My, once they're mine, they're mine. I'm sure. like, I just keep them. I just, just. I'm I'm a hoarder. Of I was gonna say that's called hoarding. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't I don't re- no it's just mine and I just keep them. So how how long after? So let's just jump all the way to like Top Shot. You getting yes. on that program? Were you competing in USPSA prior to that? Because I know you're Some, you're into USPSA now. Yeah. So I did I did okay. somewhat. I okay. wouldn't say nothing very serious. It's just like you know a regular Thursday night. We have the match. You know, club match. Sure, so something to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I used to do that. Uh, Top Shot was definitely a very interesting thing. And most people only know me after Top Shot. But before that, I was going through very, very rough times. Sure. You know, like rock bottom. It was nothing. And I was kind of building up myself. You know, I went through unemployment, divorce, dead. I mean, name it all at once. No, no, no. All at once. Happened everything like... In two weeks. Really? Like that. Boom. You know, and your face. <laughs> and um, and what it kept me kind of going was my USPSA, you okay. know. And I remember when I, I applied for Top Shot, which happened kind of coincidentally. Okay. I was not necessarily looking for it. I just saw a, a post on Instagram, on social media. Okay. Facebook. MySpace, right? <laughs> no <laughs> maybe <laughs> and uh i click on it and then it says okay this is the last week to apply for top shot whatever you need to send a picture an email and tell us why you should be the top shot so i'm reading all these lines i'm like i can do that and i have to say my brother he's the one who kept bugging me to apply and for the longest time i said oh, i'm just me i don't go on tv i'm not a tv person you know Right. Like you, us, you don't see yourself on TV. Or at least I never did. Um, I send the email, send the email, and then I kept re- reading the the poster. It says, along with your email, send a uh, an audition video. I'm like, dang. So you've already, you've already yes. sent the email and you're like missing half the stuff. Right. And then <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what? They're not even going to look at my stuff because I sent an incomplete application. Right. For this week... Back then, I uh, luckily had a f- uh, final job on Office Depot. Okay. I had a job finally, you know, struggling. And then um, I got a phone call from from one of the producers. and said, listen, we saw your application. You need to send us a video like in the next three days. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I went home. I didn't leave the house for like those three days. You're starting to film. And I sent the application, whatever, and they, you know... They they got it. They called me back for a for a whole process of uh, selection and all that stuff. But you know, it was very interesting because I had friends and shooting friends mm-hmm. who they did not and very very good friends, like good, very almost 
like brother friends in the USPSA shooters, and they were discouraging me from shooting, going to Top Shot. Really? Yeah. And why? And I would say that in a very protective way, not in a very negative way, protective way, because you know, up to season four, my season, season one, two, and three, all the women were eliminated at the beginning, at the first two third episode. And they were saying, Gabby, you're building yourself as a farms instructor. So after I, psych, you know, mentally, emotionally was able to, you know, get back on my feet and uh, have this part time job. So I worked in the mornings from 7 a.m. to 1. And then from there, I'll go straight to my house, pick up the gun and go to the ranch to train people. Mm -hmm. I was working 13 hours a day plus. And they were like, if you get eliminated in the first episode, you're done. Right. It'll hurt you. Hurt your right? image. Sure. But in my mind was, well, you know, what worse can happen to me? Right. Right. <laughs> how, how bad could my situation be? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I could be back in Venezuela. <laughs> right. Like, whatever. And I remember one of the producers when I went through that process. He, he asked me, he, you know, we got this private uh, meeting and stuff. He said, okay, so we have done three seasons already. We have had pro shooters turn us down. Like, they don't want to participate. Like, they have called certain pro shooters. And some pro shooters didn't want to because they saw some pro shooters got kind of, their reputation got hurt. Right. Because of their participation on Top Shot. So they asked me, he, he asked me, so you have a pretty you know good background uh you know uh what you've done aren't you afraid that your participation and the result of top shot can affect you and i looked at him sincerely i said listen nobody's gonna take away that i went to the olympic games nobody's gonna take away that i won my medals or pan american games medals or south american game medals nobody's gonna take that away from me i'm in it's like okay We'll call you if you're selected, and okay. that's it. So yeah. And then and then they you get that call. Yes. And well, no, my aunt they they asked me for like emergency contact and the and my aunt my cousin, an emergency contact. So I gave them the the information of my cousin. Well, they contact her to do a secret. Okay. She was the one who delivered the news. Okay. And she was supposed to film it. Okay. So she got a, she goes like, oh, we have a dinner. Come here. I'm like, okay, cool. And I got there. And then she, she just, she's coming with this camera <laughs> and she hands me this envelope. She said, look, I'm like, what's going on? And then I open the thing that the envelope and I see on the first thing, top shot. And I could not, it's like, I could not put two and two together. Right. I'm like, why is this in your house? Right. <laughs> <laughs> who, how, like, it's some sort of know? sick joke. Right. Yeah. What are you doing? Who do you know? And then you are being accepted to participants. Oh, my God. I went like, what? That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and you competed in two seasons, right? Like you did the, yeah. was it an all-star or like yeah. fan favorite season right. two? So or also? season four. And then season five was the All Stars. Okay. That yep. only the um, those who got green shirts throughout the whole all seasons who were called. Okay. To do this this uh, on that on that episode. Yeah. So I would say 
we could probably talk about you filming in Top Shot <laughs> and that whole experience, and that would probably take up more than an entire <laughs> oh episode. God. So after, <laughs> but so after you get into Top Shot, you've competed in season four, then you've competed in season five. How far are those apart from each other? Like a year? Yes. Okay. Actually, about a year. I mean, I can't believe that season four. We filmed season four ten years ago. Wow. Can you believe it? I I cannot. And the funny thing is that people keep, you know, Top Shot still out there on Amazon. I think Amazon Prime. Right. And people's like, we're watching you, Gabby. We believe in you. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> Wait until season five. <laughs> I think it's so cool. But yeah, it was only one year uh, uh, difference. And I remember my husband and I, we were dating back then. And so I got the news. We just like literally just got together like two months before that. And then in the, in the note said, well, Gabby, you know, uh, you're selected. Uh, so, you know, these are the, the possible. No, they didn't tell me who was going to be there. But they said that I was going to be the only woman because I was the only woman who. Okay. And so I remember my husband looking at me. He still denies it. I do remember clearly. He was like, what? You're going to be the only woman? I said, okay, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the attitude and that ain't gonna work <laughs> right, right this could end right now right now <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah if i was so so much fun so after that then it probably launched you into uspsa um after you did top shot uh, you said you were kind of competing in uspsa but weren't really i don't know if dedicates Dedicated is the right word, but you weren't like exclusively competing every weekend no, in USPSA. No, I was not. I was more into, you know, giving classes and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. as a uh, athlete, because I've been an athlete my whole life, yeah. pretty much. Um, I always had that thing of, oh, I wish I could train and I wish I could, you know, keep doing, you know, sport because that is me. Right. You know, I've been doing this. I'm going to have to say now, three quarters of my life. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you've been doing it for a while. For a while, you know. And so that is one year. And in in that year, it's like a year and a half or so after Top Shot Air and everything. That's when um, I got my first sponsor was uh, Remington contact me. Okay. And they wanted me to to be part of their team and all that stuff. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be next to Travis Tomasi. You're listening, (laughs) Travis, you know. You're like my hero. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Well, you're my hero. So, see, like, you're here now. So, you got on with Remington, started competing on, like, the USPSA, I guess, circuit, for lack of a better term. Yes, yes, yes. And And so now, like, let's let's fast forward all the way to now. Now you're Walther. Yes. You're with Walther. You're with primary arms yes i've been with walter for about three years okay very excited um with that partnership to me it was more like sentimental per se mm-hmm. because i competed at the olympic games and not only at the olympic games my all my 22 calibers at the olympic games were walter pistols okay uh, it was a gsp 22 pistol so to me you know, if, if like you look back and you say to that young girl, this pistol, this manufacturer, that the gun that you're shooting at the Olympics, in 20 years from the Olympics, right, 18 years from now, they're going to be your main sponsor. I would have never believed it. Sure. You know what I mean? So uh, to me, Walter is a brand who has mastered quality 
precision. It's the Who? James Bond gun. It is the James Bond but gun. Hello. <laughs> That's awesome. In 380 too. Yeah. Yeah. Doing some damage with a 380. <laughs> and and so very excited about that. And then now um, uh, primary arms. Mm-hmm. We have been talking. We were talking for a long time. And they wanted to bring me on their team. And I say, yes, I, you know, I love that. But first, I always say, I want to try your products. Sure. You know, before I say, you know, I like it or I'm just putting a jersey. I want to make sure that when I talk to people about your products, I really believe it. Like, it's true. Like, I like Walter, you know. I shot with the camera at the Olympic Games. No right. matter what, you can tell me A or Z about Walter. I will say, huh, wait, hold on one second. Yeah, when you were 11 <laughs> to 15 years old, you were paying money for, or your parents or somebody was paying money for a Walter gun right. at that point. But the quality of it. So uh, with primary arms, was pretty much the same. So I switched my optics, um, my, my pistol for a Holison. Okay. And it was different at first, but I ended up, you know, loving it. Mm-hmm. And so many different levels. Is it levels. the ACCS reticle? The, y- yes. The, sh- the Chevron? Yes, it's Chevron. Okay. How do you like the Chevron? I do. And I'll tell you why. So I, when I went from iron size, which mm-hmm. I shot pretty much my whole life right. until I started shooting for Walther, right? Um, I had the regular dots, but I still struggle a lot with the dots, mm-hmm. okay? And I realized when I changed to the Chevron is that... When I'm shooting fast with the dot, it seems like the dot disappears okay. on me. Okay, yep. I see very little of it. The Chevron, I see more of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot easier for me to track it when I'm shooting, you know, having fast splits. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was money. Right. I was like, that's it. You know, if I see it, if it's bright and I see it... <laughs> I'm I'm there, and I it has also the circle around it. Okay. Okay. And um, I don't use it often at all. The only time when I use it is when I'm sometimes I shoot when I was training left-handed. Okay. Yeah. It was an amazing training tool for me. To to find to get that chevron in dead center. Yes. Got it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't shoot the the my optic with a circle around it, but. When I was shooting, practicing to the left hand, that could not find. Uh, right. I was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, where is this? Where is it? Now, after doing it so much, I just get on it. Sure. So I've, I've shot the Chevron probably like 15 rounds. Okay. And I, I enjoyed it. It was really neat. The thing I liked about it, I could use the Chevron like a dot if I was right. up close because it really doesn't matter whether right. it's the tip of the Chevron or, you know, the triangle. Exactly. And, but at distance, I didn't need to adjust anything. Now, all of a sudden, I've got the tip of that Chevron. So now I just put that on the thing and press the trigger. So you almost had like the best of both worlds. You had a big dot for fast and then you had also a small dot for when you wanted to do more precise work. But that being said, I literally have about 15 rounds through one so i would need to put more time into it yes. to really develop a better opinion on it but that was really cool was one thing i really liked about that chevron yeah and the chevron like you're saying even when you're shooting at distance you use the bottom of the chevron for different distances okay and yeah you know what i mean so yeah. it's almost like you have like a radical a think of it sure like a holdover like a bdc radical yeah exactly. right so it is actually i love it it has more to the the the, the dot or the optic that most people think 
about it mm-hmm. and that's why i like it but to me it was a very selling point that i you know i could see it it right. was brighter and i can use it just like a dot you know it's right there so yeah you have to practice because it's kind of big change going from a little dot right to the chevron but once you get it I, I'm, I'm like on it awesome awesome well um we're right up against it we're at about 44 minutes here uh, go around the horn. I want to thank you for coming on. Your story is amazing, and this won't be the last time that you're here just because like, we did like a glossary over <laughs> everything. We didn't even go deep dive into no. anything, and I think we could literally talk for a week about any story that you came up with. Well, but and, and me, me and her, have been, we've been talking about mental management. Yeah. And so we can even be – and on top of that – Well, she's, that's she's, what I was going to say. Yeah. And on top of that, she's got a psycho- – she's, she's studying oh, yeah. you know, uh, a degree in psychology. Okay. So – yeah, I'm and a full-time I'm ta- student. You know too. what I'm saying? So today, I don't envy you at all. I, 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 I would, about, you couldn't pay me enough to go back to college <laughs> right now. I, I say about a quarter of the time that we that, that we trained today, a quarter of that was spent on mental management. How do we how do we replicate? We we try to reverse engineer uh, my point eight six um, shot. Right. How, how, do, how do you how do you how do you replicate that? Right. Right. Because if I can do that every single time, dude, I'd be because you did it. Like not even mentally there. No, like well, that, I mean, was was, that, was, that, that was subconscious. subconscious. That was subconscious. It was so subconscious. You just said you prepped the trigger too early, but that didn't matter. Everything else was just subconscious right. there. And so a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, and and we're having some issues with the uh, we had, we put a, a A zone steel target about twenty five yards, mm-hmm. and that was our buy in to go into the the paper targets. I went first and. It was just, it was it was challenging. It was, sure. It was challenging because you're trying to go fast from the holster. So now you know what I'm saying everything at 25 yards with that A zone, everything gets scrutinized, right? So, um, and, and so we we have some issues and again reverse engineering that stuff and and how do you how do you focus? When we're talking about you know pre pre stage rituals. We, we right. talk about loading ritual. We talk about pre stage rituals. The process. Right. Um, like Lanny Basham, like he was a big advocate about the process before you start so if your process is is correct so we talked about it in the last podcast with josh and brian and we were talking about golf and the similarities of golf to shooting and i was a huge golfer uh growing up and got fairly okay at golf and like the pre-shot routines for golf are just like the pre-shot routines before you get on a uspsa stage or maybe like a bullseye or long range stuff and then the post shot you know after the stage, after you've hit the nine iron or whatever it was, there's so many similarities in the in the mental game. We were talking how I directly see correlation between golf and shooting. Oh, shooting yeah, is the is. golf with bullets. Yes, you know. Okay. So yeah, like understanding that that's just amazing. Yeah. And so it's just being exposed to that stuff, and we can we can deep dive. <laughs> like me and her were were talking a lot about that stuff today because I think uh, people and I was telling her. People see me, guys like me. We look like grunts, right? Like, sure. <laughs> like these guys. But the reality is, we're very analytical. I mean, we're we're processing. We're we're breaking down shot for shot. What was our draw time? What was our split time? What was our transition between the far target and the near target? I How- actually, there was a point where I figured out. Okay, we know that we can get hit the steel at what uh, ten from ten yards. Ten- the, the the little plate from the play rack. And then, you know, around 1-7, 1-17, and so on and so forth, and hitting it, right? And then what I 
I had the idea of let's see how long it takes him because I'm watching him to get to the holster. So as soon as I saw him touching the holster, I would tap the, the timer. Right. And then I realized that his timing to get to the holster was 0.335. And so it gives you an idea. Okay, now I have about 65.65 to to make the shot if I want to break it in one second. So we were going to the minimal, going well, to the minimal sure. expression. And I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I like to break things the details. down. And I, I like to break things I, down. I think me and we, not me and her, but you, me, you, Josh, uh, I think we're, we're, we're at the PhD level or we're trying to get mm -hmm. to the PhD level sure. of shooting. Cause now we're talking about like micro, you know, microseconds, like, you know, who, who does that? who, who who analyzes the reaction time from the beep? Maybe there's a reason why no people people don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the people that want to get better, I just enjoy it. Yeah, the people that want to get better do that. Right? Uh, to me, I mean, yeah, yeah, to me, the more knowledge, the more information you get. To you know, to me, it's just that getting information. You know, and getting like to that know experimentation yourself. Yeah. on on yourself is super cool. Um, who is the guy that does the five hour work week? Uh, Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. He's got a book and he's got a like awesome podcast, but he does experiments on himself. So whether it's like an exercise experiment for X number of time or a diet experiment, just so he can have that data. data right. Right. We're doing the same. I mean, I'm not doing that with my diet and like fasting for 40 days or whatever he does and <laughs> right? all that stuff. But I am trying to tinker with little things when it comes to shooting. Right. Maybe it's how I pick up the dot and maybe what the dot looks like. Just go ahead and break the shot and see what happens. And not saying I'm doing that in a competition, but I'm doing that when I'm practicing. Mm -hmm. Right. So I know. Well, that's exactly the place what to it do is. it, right? If you keep doing the same things and you keep going to the range and plucking at the same little center punch uh, aim, you know, A zone at five yards, you're really not going to get better. That's but called it, insanity. But yeah. if doing the but, same but, thing all the time. But, right. people, but people do it because they don't they they don't know, right? They, exactly. They, they, they really don't know unless you get into the weeds of of you know shooting and to the to the point where we're we're trying to figure out how how can we get a, a fast reaction time, right? On you know what I'm saying on the beep, um, and I, I I I absolutely love the analytic and, and then uh, talking about information or data collection. Um, we've had law enforcement officers, you know, in our classes and, uh, we asked them, it's like, Hey, what's your, what's your draw time? Uh, and they, they, either they can't answer or they'll just get it, give you a generic answer because right. they don't know. They don't know. And it'll say about two and a half seconds, uh, two and a half seconds for the normal person who doesn't know thinks that that is a very short amount of time. The reality is that you would be <laughs> way behind the power curve if you would have an encounter that's. Uh, uh, an assailant that would be highly trained. You would be. Right. And for me, I was telling Gabby that, you know, because I would ask that. It's like for us, for, for a law enforcement officer, somebody that's, you know, it's got some some situational awareness and sees a, a, a potential situation developing, your brain starts doing calculations like, All right, I think I can, I can, I can, you know, draw this gun from at least from concealment. Slowest about one point four zero. You still, your brain starts doing if you see a situation developing stuff, and you start. It's good analytics and good data to have. Um, well, I know Scott Jaletsky always says we were. I took his class a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about a one second draw. That's kind of like the new hip thing on the internet. 
And uh, have you ever heard of a 0.86 draw? Just okay, so, <laughs> well, well, so and that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> so, um, but if if you're like a concealed carrier and you have, if you can never do a one second draw and you have a one second problem, you can't solve that problem. It's impossible to solve that problem, right? If you've never done it in practice, if you've never done a one second, if so, you're eight six, right? So you you now know you have a solution to a one second problem. Yeah. A, a guy that does his best is like a one seven. He he has no solution to a one yeah. second I think, problem. I think we also need to take in consideration that there is a delay on mental process. So you have to get the visual, realize what's happening, yeah. make a decision. So it's more than one second in a sense. Like sure. it may it makes sense to have an efficient, quick draw because there are other elements that are added to it that delays that time. Right. Absolutely. All right. We're, we're cutting this <laughs> off now because we're getting into something totally different. Chris, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, Chris Alvarez 580 at Instagram and then Chris Alvarez on Facebook. Awesome. Gabby, how do people get a hold of you? At Gabby Franco TS4 on Instagram and Twitter or Gabby Franco Top Shot on Facebook. Also, and um, check out Walther. Check out Primary Arms. Yes, please. Do they put do they put slash Gabby or anything like that to give you credit for going to visit those places through you? Uh, no, I know. Just go to their website or go to their Instagram and send them love. Yeah, let them, <laughs> let them know that Gabby's awesome. Also, you can get a hold of me. I'm Wreck It Luke on Instagram. You can also email me. I'm Luke at green-ops.com. Uh, you can email me there. We do have a couple classes left this year in 2021. We have a pistol course coming up over Shot- at the NRA. Yes. Um, shotgun will be already. We've already had that. We've already had um, the other pistol class. So we've got NRA. You're also going to be in Texas for LPBO. December 18th Ooh, in uh, Pleasanton, nice. Texas. Okay. Um, low power variable optics course is going to be awesome. And then also we've got Mike Green. And Greybeard Actual together, they are doing a class in Texas as well. So we do have a little bit. And one of them's a master master USPC USPSA shooter. And nice. I believe Greybeard's uh, uh, grandmaster. I, I think he's a GM. Yeah. So go take that class. If you can't get to one of those classes, we have plenty of classes in 2022. So check out our schedule at green-ops.com. Lastly, if you want to train with us but can't come to Virginia or Texas, uh, send an email to info at green-ops. We can come to you. So send an email there. They will we'll start a conversation, figure out what you need, figure out how many students that you have, and we can come perform some training at your location. So in the meantime, um, make sure you like, make sure you share, give us five stars, all that good stuff. But Gabby, thanks for coming on. Thank her, you, guys. Her story is amazing. Um, go check her out on all of her social media and go buy a Walther and then put a dot on it from Primary Arms. <laughs> and, and then come out and see us out on the range either in 2021 or 2022. Love you all. Goodbye.